0: Happy Monday, my friends. This is Amy Lee San Juan, and I'd like to welcome you back to another super informative episode of Cisco Champion Radio. Today, we're talking about iOS XR trustworthy platforms. So get comfortable and join us on this educational journey for the next half hour or so. And just a reminder you can always learn more about any of the topics covered in this podcast simply by clicking on the link provided in the description below. All right, let's get started with a short round of introductions. Rakesh. How are you doing?
1: Uh, hi everyone. I'm Rakesh Kandula, technical marketing engineer from Cisco. I handle the security portfolio of MassScale Infrastructure Group, catering to service provider business. I have been with Cisco for 13 plus years now in roles ranging from hardware diagnostics engineer, platform, software developer, and now handling security portfolio. My primary focus is infrastructure security, specifically the areas of hardware and software integrity. So today, I'm here to talk about trustworthy platforms in the context of our iOS XR routers.
0: Wonderful, we have the right expert on. All right, David, you're up next. Who are you? How do you do?
2: Sometimes I ask myself the same questions. (laughs) (laughs) Hello everybody, my name is David Finaleza. I work as a consulting engineer for a Cisco partner and my daily job is about SD-WAN and network design, virtualization, orchestration, um, hopefully a little bit of automation. Let's see how it goes. My Twitter handle is PS, and that's about it.
0: All right. Okay, Michael. My friend. Good day, Emily. Hope everything's going <laughs> good for you. Uh, my name is Michael Rhodes. I
1: am an IT manager for a company called North American Hoganus. It is a Swedish company. We are an industrial manufacturer and my Twitter handle is at Cisco Mikey.
0: Great. Mark, last but not least.
3: Yeah. um Mark Siebering. I'm an uh, expert consultant at Um been designing networks since like '96 or something. Um, dial-up, core, access, campus, data center, everything. And the last few years, busy in automation. You can find me on GitHub as netarc, and if you look for netciCd, you will find my repos.
0: Great. All right, Rakesh, kicking it back to you. Can you give us a bit more background on today's topic? What are we talking about?
1: Sure, Emily. So if you look at the dynamic and ever-changing threat landscape around us, the questions we should be asking now about trust are these. How do you know for sure that a router that has been deployed in your network hasn't been altered since you deployed it? Or during the boot process itself, wouldn't it be great if there was a way to detect if your router has been subjected to some attack leading to tampering of critical components? Or how could you constantly evaluate the trust posture of your devices over their lifetime? Now, of course, these are genuine concerns for any kind of network deployment, but specifically when it comes to service providers, given the kind of deployments uh, where the routers are in remote and insecure locations, it becomes a much bigger concern. So today, we will discuss these topics to understand what kind of measures Cisco is taking when it comes to protecting the integrity of the routers and helping build trustworthy platforms. Well, and with that introduction, I need to say something
2: clever, right? So, <laughs> so I, I honestly like this kind of discussions because in general, security becomes an afterthought. In general, security is the thing that you add later, so the guys, that at managing the firewall, do get pizza at you. But it, it tends to be an afterthought, and we often forget that it should be part of our design, our deployment on our all devices in a way that we keep secure the minimal or the smallest of the elements of the network to make sure that everything is as stronger as the, as the, the weakest link. So if we just protect everything, well, we'll have a general good security posture. So getting back to this specific topic and stopping over generalities, Rakesh, can you please describe to us what's the high level description of of, of this security process or at least this uh, prevention to be adding into the routers to make sure that they haven't been compromised, touched or, or altered or if they are running after. So let's just cover first the high level and then we can just break it down as smaller steps.
3: So, so David, the everything you just mentioned, you want to make it a little bit less big.
2: Less big. A <laughs>
3: little bit smaller. Concise. You started out <laughs> with everything. <clears throat> yeah, now let's,
2: uh, I actually started with the journalistic approach, so now I want to... <laughs> take a step back and, and, and go specifically to the topic that we want to discuss with Rakesh. So let's talk about how do we protect these routers and how's the process for that?
1: Sure, David. So if you look at it, uh, what should be the most important aspect is uh, people tend to just look at uh, runtime corruption or making sure you're running the latest and greatest software and the protocols, right? But the principle we believe in and uh, based on which we design our devices now is that no amount of software security is going to help you if your underlying hardware itself has been tampered with. right? So that's where our trust story starts all the way from hardware and extends into your boot time and runtime integrity. So if you look at it, the three basic pillars of iOS XR trust portfolio are hardware integrity, boot integrity, and runtime integrity. And then there is a fourth aspect which is very important, which is about visibility of all of this. So when we talk about visualization, uh, the most important aspect is to ensure uh, the data that's collected from the router could actually be verified cryptographically. And that's the uh, core principles we operate our trustworthy platforms on. So to start off with uh, hardware integrity, uh, all our devices today come equipped with what we call as a trust anchor module or in short, TAM chip. And this becomes the foundational element to build our entire trustworthy story. So any device that is manufactured today has this TAM chip, which has a unique identity. It's called as a SUDI certificate that is uh, programmed into it during our manufacturing. And that ensures that you are actually using a Cisco-manufactured genuine device. So you know that it's not a counterfeit device, point number one. Then this TAM chip also acts as an anchor into your boot process. That way you know that your boot process is uh, not compromised with, and it also helps in your trust visualization aspects. So in short, these are the four key aspects when we talk about our trust portfolio.
3: And this is something really new, or has that been in the platforms for for, for, for longer time?
1: Good point. So if you look at our iOS XR portfolio, the TAM chip has been part of our routers for quite some time now. So the secure boot, which is anchored into this TAM chip, is also out there in the field already. So none of these features we're talking about are just a set of new additions, but rather something that has been there uh, for quite some time. Now, of course, uh, there are always newer hardware and newer chips coming in. So there are new features added on top of this uh, integrity story but the basic aspects of unique device identification are uh, uh, anchoring your secure boot into your TAM chip. These have always been part of our portfolio.
3: Now there's something new coming up, I understand, with the new TAM chip, new capabilities.
1: Yes, that's a good point. So, if you look at it, other than uh, the aspects I mentioned, right, about how do you uniquely identify your hardware and how do you know your boot is anchored into this TAM chip, now with our newly manufactured TAM devices, we are onboarding something called as chip card. So, if you look at the attack surface again, like I said, it's always evolving, right? So, now with in some cases uh, uh, attacks where someone could potentially replace the chips like CPU or NPU on your hardware with some compromised chips, uh, we should make sure we have some solution in place to detect that. And if we detect that there has been a tampering done, we'll stop the boot process. So what we do today with our newer generation of TAM chips is during the manufacturing time, we imprint a unique uh, fingerprint of all the uh, critical components like CPU and NPU. And then during our boot process, we retrieve that factory programmed value, and then we compare with the current observed values. And only if these two match, the device proceeds further with the boot process. If not, we stop the booting right there. So this way, even any supply chain attacks, tampering your CPUs or NPUs can now be detected with our newer chips.
3: So if you see that your device has booted, you know that it's okay.
1: Exactly. So now you just don't, uh, uh, you don't, uh, just say that yes, uh, I have booted fine. You also know that your hardware is fine. Your NPU and CPU are also fine and haven't been tampered with. So you are not just securing the entire boot process. You also know your hardware is still fine and hasn't been compromised.
2: This is quite important because then we're talking about relying on the term chip. I want to make sure then that we uh, uh, will approach the topic of if we rely so much on the TAM chip, how do we make sure that the chip itself, that it's going to be the the angular stone for all this, is
1: not going to be compromised? Very good point, right? So the point is this TAM chip that gets provision on the platforms uh, goes through a rigorous uh, supply chain process that has been set up where every chip that gets onto the device, uh, has some tracking enabled. So if you look at uh, the way this works, uh, our Cisco security and trust facilities, then our chip manufacturer and our actual device manufacturers. Between these three parties, we have a well-established controls of request and authorization and tracking enabled at the chip level. So you know exactly uh, where your chip is going in, into which device. And then on top of it, like I said, there is a unique ID imprinted. There is a unique set of keys programmed uh, to help you validate with your boot process. Each of these steps, again, go through a set of rigorous authorization process where Cisco is part of every stage of this. So this way we ensure that the Trust Anchor module that's getting onto the cards is actually not compromised anywhere during the manufacturing process. Does that help?
2: Yeah, what about the information in the box? What if I get a box, I just deployed a box somewhere, and then for some reason I want to decommission the box after a while? What happens with all that config? Let's suppose that I just forgot to delete the config. All the stuff that I put there, SNMP, AP addresses, all that. What happens with that information that it's proprietary?
1: Very good point. So when we talk about uh, protecting the sensitive data, again, that's another important aspect to be taken care of. Uh, It's not just uh, when you put a device out of service. It could be an RMA scenario, or it could be a theft scenario, or it could be for whatever reasons uh, uh, your hard disk has been uh, uh, taken from service and someone's trying to read the data, right? So what we have is uh, this Trust Anchor module chip also provides a set of encryption keys that helps you protect your running config as well. So with our IOS r 731 release, uh, we have something called as a disk encryption feature. Uh, The disk encryption feature ensures that your running config gets encrypted in a partition. And even prior to these releases, let's say your running configuration had sensitive passwords and key strings, we already had something called Type 6 encryption already supported and this type 6 encryption keys are actually protected by keys coming from the stamp chip again so if you look at it encryption supported by keys that are coming from hardware so that's the level of security we are talking about
3: does that ne- does that mean that when the boot uh, the box boots that you need to uh, enter a key for it to actually be uh, able to read the config
1: not really so what we are providing is data at rest protection, like I said, for scenarios of RMAs or out-of-service or thefts. Uh, during the boot process, like I said, during the secure boot process, now we fetch the uh, key out of our TAM chip, and then we uh, mount the partition by decrypting it. And again, even during the lifetime of the box, uh, all the reads and writes will be transparent to the software. So what I mean by that is, the in the backend, uh, the content is always encrypted. Uh, whereas, whenever someone tries to read the configuration, obviously it will decrypt and then uh, show it out uh, on your console, right? So, it's transparent to the user, but still protected for uh, uh, data at rest uh, protection. Okay, so so we've mentioned then
2: protection in transit, secure storage, the the trust that begins in the hardware with the chip and the city, now what happens after all this? It's okay. What happens when the device is booting? So, how do we get to the booting after all these checks have happened?
1: Yes. So now that, that's what uh, our secure boot anchored in hardware, what we mean by that is the moment you power on your hardware, the TAM chip is the one that comes up first. And the microloader is actually embedded within this chip. So this way you know that even before your CPU is taken out of reset the first instruction that the CPU is going to run, which is from the microloader, is actually protected by your TAM chip. Now, once that is established, only when this microloader has been validated by the chip, now we'll proceed with the next stage of the boot process, which is loading your BIOS. Again, the BIOS gets validated. Then BIOS comes up and then validates your next stage. Then the kernel, the grub config, everything gets validated, and eventually you get to the iOS XR runtime. So in short, the boot process starts all the way from the hardware chip, and every stage goes through a set of validations, and only then your XR image gets loaded. So that's the uh, boot process in short. And and the chip guard, which I just mentioned earlier, to detect tampering of chips uh, during transit, that's part of this boot process. So the BIOS that runs will, by default, run the chip guard as well on the newer hardware. That way you know that uh, any, any tampering has been detected and the boot process has not been compromised with. So if you got this a new box in and you're like, it doesn't boot, uh, is that, you know, would you, how do you go in there and actually find out that it's been tampered with? I mean, how do you know you don't just get a DOA box versus a tamper with box? Good point. So what we do is, of course, the moment we detect that something has been tampered with, uh, we wouldn't allow the box to boot so you won't be getting to your XR runtime. So you can't expect some syslogs or some messaging out of the box, right? So what we do is, during the boot process, whenever uh, uh, a component of the boot fails, the secure uh, boot FPGA would report it. It would have the result of that. And the front panel LEDs uh, would actually indicate that there has been a failure of your secure boot process. So you have a red LED blinking, which is an indication that, hey, something went wrong with the secure boot process. It could be some tampering in hardware or software. And that's the reason your box is not booting. So it's going to be some genetic message or this is
2: going to say like, it was Tiffany. You know, that kind of message. It's just to know exactly (laughs) what to expect. Look at the panel. It will tell you who was touching the box. And then, oh, Tiffany, you've been a very bad girl.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So that also also means that if some bits flipped in... uh... In one in one of the devices on the chips or on the box then it won't boot anymore and you know that well it's either tampered with or it's broken you so you find out sooner if your hardware is uh, doing something weird
1: exactly so so the point here is uh like i mentioned right if, if your underlying hardware has been compromised with or tampered with, uh, no amount of any additional measures would really help you. So the point is to stop your boot process right there. If we detect that something's wrong with your hardware or any of the firmware modules during the boot. And that's the reason the secure boot will make sure you won't get to your uh, iOS 6 r runtime, right?
2: No, well, I think it's a rather conservative approach, but I would also prefer to have things not working rather than working that way. So, well, I guess that if the box gets, goes down, you have two options. It is kaput or, or we just made it go kaput because somebody was fiddling with it. So <laughs> any of them <laughs> works. But kaput is, it is. <laughs> so what happens with my code? Because we've got to the point where the box has booted. So the boot thing is okay. We are now loading the kernel. To... What happens with my iOS XR code? Because what if nothing in the hardware has been compromised, but my code was compromised?
1: Valid point. So like I said, the third pillar uh, out of all the three pillars is runtime integrity, right? So like you said, we established hardware and boot integrity. And now obviously, how do you ensure the runtime is not compromised over the months or years of uptime of the device, right? So there are two runtime protections in place that iOS XR provides. And again, this has been there for quite some time now, not just a new addition. The first is SE Linux policies. So we have uh, SE Linux uh, policies in place to ensure that uh, any amount of attacks on the box will not be able to tamper the files. Then we also adopted the Linux integrity measurement architecture, which is called as IMA. Now with this, what happens is whenever uh, a new file has to be loaded, the kernel would first get a measurement of the file. It gets the SHA-256 hash of the file and records a measurement in the kernel. And on on the newer hardware, in fact, this measurement gets extended inside some of the registers inside the TAM chip. So that way, we know for sure that even if someone compromised or attacked your box during runtime, if a file has been compromised, by doing those measurements, you know that You can at least detect the tampering, right? That's the first part. On top of it, uh, the fourth aspect, which is a visualization, helps you in detecting these kind of uh, issues as well. Uh, We'll talk, we'll probably talk about the visualization uh, as well.
3: How does that work then with an upgrade?
1: Yeah, so every iOS XR image that gets built, uh, it also has the expected set of hashes uh, during the build time. So the bo- you don't have to go and fetch what we call it as a known good values from somewhere. Every XR image uh, that is available outside on our CCO today will also have these known good values uh, already part of the image. So that way you know that if you're upgrading your full image or if you're getting a patch in the form of a small, the expected new values, new file hashes are already part of the image. So that way you know if it's uh, an expected file or if it's a tampered file.
3: And in the upgrade process, these known good values are pushed into the TAM chip.
1: So the known good values as such are not pushed inside the TAM chip. Uh, That would be part of our iOS XR image. And given that uh, we have a rigorous secure boot process, uh, you know that your iOS XR image itself hasn't been tampered with, right? So the known good values are part of your XR image along with your rest of the files. What we push into the TAM chip are the measurements recorded during the runtime by the kernel. So the known good values are in the kernel and you always measure a file when it is getting loaded into the memory. And then you extend that value into the TAMP chip as well so that you know it's not tampered with, right? If, if there is an attacker who, was ta- who is able to tamper your file, maybe they could tamper the measurements as well, right? That's where we record them inside the TAMP chip.
2: Okay, then taking a step back from- from the upgrade. We've talked about the uh, runtime and several techniques that could mitigate any kind of attack. But What about uh, touching files or modifying some files? What about uh, attacking spaces in memory? These are typical, typical attacks that we could see. So are we also getting our results protected? Like against all the threats, Well, that kind of threat, my apologies
1: exactly so we do have uh, uh, mechanisms like safe c or aerospace layout randomization and all sorts of static checks as well in place so that uh, any s- attacks uh, or uh, uh, any attacks which take advantage of these uh, would also be thwarted so it's not just uh, modifying the files but we do have enough boundary conditions checks in place and all that so with our safe c coding in place, uh, we have something called a CSDL, uh, which is our uh, uh, secure uh, lifecycle uh, uh, development. And as part of that, every XR image that g- goes out goes through a strict set of checks, uh, all these safety checks and everything. So that way, we ensure that uh, these kind of attacks are not uh, uh, possible. Or even buffer overflow attacks and stuff like that could be avoided.
2: There's another term, however, that it keeps coming back to me because it sounds sounds pretty cool. What exactly is this remote attestation?
1: That's a good question. So now that uh, we understand uh, your runtime integrity is maintained, like I said, the fourth important aspect is always to provide visibility into it. So when you talk about trust, uh, it's all about, uh, it's something that is tangible, and how do you measure or verify it, right? So what remote attestation essentially does is this. Let's say you have a uh, external agent uh, through which you want to establish the authenticity of your uh, device, starting from hardware, boot, and runtime. What you could do is today, uh, with the current shipping iOS XR images, you could throw a challenge to the router to retrieve all these measurements that were recorded during the boot time, during the runtime, And all of those measurements signed by the Device Unique SUDI certificate as well. So that way, let's say you are an external agent uh, uh, that's trying to validate this uh, trust aspect. You could validate that these measures are coming from a genuine Cisco device. And what is that external agent today? So we have our crosswork Trust Insights in our portfolio. And that could be deployed as a uh, cloud-based service that could do this for you so in case you are a customer looking for a visualization of trust crosswork trust insights is your solution it could do this entire attestation workflow and also provide you a history of what all happened during the uptime of your router i hope that clarifies the attestation part or would you want a bit more detail uh, uh, david
2: and i think it's i think it's quite clear so mark
3: yeah, for me it is. Uh, it, it's pretty clear. I mean, however, it is. Uh, if you have all this stuff going on, how could you get more insight uh, and oversight of all the boxes that you have? Is there uh, tooling associated to it?
1: Yeah, so that's that's where the trust, trust insights helps you. So what it it just doesn't help in periodic evaluation of uh, the device posture. It also gives you a history of uh, uh, things like your hardware inventory, the software inventory, what are the smooths or uh, uh, what are the upgrades that uh, happened, the reboot history of your router, plus all these IMA measurements, which we just talked about at the kernel, right? So with all this information handy in a uh, GUI, you could go back in history of the device and see what happened uh, with the device starting from the day it booted, to the current time. So that way you get a visualization of all your devices in the network. Again, uh, in case Trust Sites is not something you could deploy, all of this could be automated by your existing uh, uh, workflows as well. We provide CLIs uh, or young models to query the data and then do the validation or integrate it into your existing workflows. So even that is available. And just to add, in case you're deploying Trust Sites. It also gives you an additional flexibility of closed loop automation, where you could have some APIs to query Trust Insights and add that uh, to your automation, or if you want to take some action or inspect a device further based on the current status and stuff like that. So that is also possible.
3: You said Yang models, then you query Trust Insights or do you query the box?
1: So there are two options. Uh, In case you have already deployed Trust Insights, then you could directly use an API to query Trust Insights to get the uh, data that you're looking for. Or in case uh, you are a customer who doesn't want to deploy the cloud-based service or uh, Trust Insights is still not deployed, you could do this query directly on the device as well. So both options are available. So you could could query the same CLI data over Yang as well in case uh, you need to query the data with your own automation. Does that help? Yeah.
2: So if you're going to go down this path and you have
1: trust insights, uh, you know, in in play, and you want to in, in, introduce this new thing, who all is going to get it included? Is it old models, new models? Let's talk hardware. Like, what? Uh, who gets to get this uh, new feature? That's a very good point. So the trust insights, the attestation workflow, which I've just mentioned is not something new with just the newer software or hardware. Like I said, there are some of these basic aspects of integrity which have already been part of our portfolio. So because of that, already the shipping hardware and software, uh, both the variants already support integration with iOS XR, uh, uh, sorry, with the Crosswalk Trust Insights. And so there's no uh, dependency for you to upgrade to the latest and greatest software or upgrading your hardware. So that's already supported.
2: So are we getting the security built in only for these analytics? Is there anything else in which we can put security? We love to do routing protocols and authentications and passwords and things. So, what else can get some you know the sauce on top of it?
3: Yeah, that's a great point. (laughs) Some people do knowing them, yeah, (laughs) but putting them in and then figuring out you you took the wrong one, nah. (laughs)
1: It's a good point, David. So if you look at it, uh, now that uh, we have established the integrity of your uh, uh, device, the boot and the runtime, we have visualization provided. So the next uh, obvious step is how could you extend this entire trust into your network? So we we are just not stopping at a single device and uh, we have features like trusted path routing that are being onboarded, which would help you to extend this trust into the network. At the same time, we are also uh, making use of our strong uh, TAM chip uh, foundation that we have with the SUDI certificates. We have now security in our operational workflows as well with uh, zero-touch provisioning. Now we have secure zero-touch provisioning being supported from our iOS XR 731 release. And this is RFC 8572 compliant. So this way, we are not stopping at a single device. We are looking at extending into the domain uh, routing domain extending into your operational workflows and rest of the ecosystem as well.
2: It feels like Skynet, doesn't it? Like, I know who you are. I know who you are. I know who he is as well.
3: I watched The Matrix yesterday. It, is, and it, it gives, <laughs> <coughs> gives me a new view on that reality. It is
2: When he was mentioning that some of the features work for thefts as well, I'm thinking you got to be a guy with a quite a strong back to just still provide a great router just because you could find it somewhere. So you can imagine this, like somebody stole my 9K router right here. And then you just see the whole empty space, like this big, and yeah, (laughs) somebody did. (laughs) But I think it's fantastic to put security in all these, but in all these steps, simply because uh, some people might ignore that some of these features are there. It's funny that you were mentioning it, 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 and I remember Rakesh said some of these basic features and I get to, knew, to to know about the features Well, maybe a couple of weeks ago and then he says, no, these basic features, I'm totally blown away like, oh God, do we do this? This is awesome and then, oh, that's basic, it's supported everywhere and you just turn around. What? <laughs> Sounds really... Awesome. So, <laughs> All
0: right, guys. Well, this has been another great episode of Cisco Champion Radio. I want to thank all of you out there for listening in today and obviously a very special thank you to our guest and Cisco Champions for being a part of today's episode. Again, if you want to learn more about today's topic, just click on the link provided in the description below. And just a reminder, you can subscribe to Cisco Champion Radio on your favorite streaming platform and receive alerts on our latest releases. So wherever you're listening to us, make sure to softly hit that subscribe or follow button now. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. See you next Monday.